Welcome to All Things Photonics, a podcast about the physical science of light driving scientific innovation in the 21st century. I'm Joel Williams, Associate Editor at Photonics Media. Join us as we explore the latest trends in optics, lasers, microscopy, and spectroscopy. Each episode, you'll hear from leading voices from across the photonics landscape, brought to you by Photonics Media. With the acclaimed 1985 children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, author Laura Numeroff raises a hypothetical that would go on to guide a series of similarly pondering titles, including If You Give a Moose a Muffin, released in 1989, and If You Give a Pig a Pancake, which debuted in 1998. On today's episode of All Things Photonics, we apply Numeroff's winning formula for a speculation into the world of optics. If you give a luminary a meta-optic, is our question. Here to answer it, from Boston-based company MetaLens, that's the word MetaLens, but with a Z at the end, is company co-founder and CEO Rob Devlin. Devlin spent four years at Harvard University in the group of photonics industry Titan, and the luminary of whom we speak, Dr. Federico Capasso. The end of Devlin's time in the group fed into the launch of MetaLens, which today is a leading designer and manufacturer of meta-optics for an expanding number of high-volume applications, ranging from consumer electronics to miniaturized imaging systems. Meta-optics and diffractive and meta-optical elements constitute one of the highest high-growth technology areas in the photonics ecosystem today. Devlin and his partners spun out MetaLens in 2016 at the cusp of the technology's ascension in five years after the release of what Devlin calls a seminal paper describing the wonders of metasurfaces. The potential for metasurfaces remains today, six years later, only now it is paired with bona fide commercial successes for MetaLens and its technology. One prominent deployment, announced earlier this year by semiconductor technology ST Microelectronics, features MetaLens's meta-optics technology in a time-of-flight sensor. Here, MetaLens replaces existing multi-element lenses with a single meta-optic. The company's metasurface technology bypasses reliance on 3D patterning, as well as light propagation through a lossy material. This distinguishes it from conventional 3D metamaterials, and the cut to complexity enables the company to develop flat optical components that impart both diffractive and refractive type functions in a single layer. As Photonic Spectrum Magazine reported earlier this year, that dual functionality can cut the number of components in a dot pattern projector, a complex light structuring module for facial recognition in mobile phones. The mobile phone communication sector is one of several in which MetaLens believes it is ready to drive the next wave of technological innovation. Our interview with Devlin starts with a recollection to 2013, his beginnings in the lab of Federico Capasso and the ascension of meta-optics. I joined Federico's group, I believe, in, in 2013, and Metasurfaces had already been and had actually taken over as the, the biggest research activity within his group by that time. There was sort of a seminal paper in 2011 that showed this general concept of Metasurfaces as sort of a first implementation of, of the idea of a Metasurface. And the idea there was essentially being able to control all aspects of light phase and polarization with just a single layer of material that could be processed through relatively standard semiconductor processes. And so that had actually spawned out of a little bit of an earlier bit of research uh, that Federico had brought with him from his time at Bell Labs in the area of quantum cascade lasers. So quantum cascade lasers, without going into all the details, are sort of a very interesting laser source 
but the light that comes out of the facet is very uh, non-collimated and diverging. And so it started with a thought experiment as to whether they could pattern something directly on the facet of a quantum cascade laser, a flat surface, really thin, uh, small form factor that would be able to provide much better collimated light coming out of the QCL. So from that concept, they said, well, actually, the overall idea of single layer controlling light like this is a, is a much more interesting thing and even has a bigger potential impact. And that led to the 2011 paper showing more of just the, the general concept of this metasurface. In starting and then growing MetaLens, the company, you brought us back 10 years and a little bit more, actually, we were talking about uh, Dr. Kapasa's time at Bell Labs. And we were fortunate to speak with Jerome Feist on the podcast last season, who had his own QCL-themed anecdotes of that time. Yeah. In starting and then growing the company, was there a specific moment, either a, a technological breakthrough or a you know a path towards commercialization, excuse me, sort of emerging, where you said, you know, we really have something here? Um, and the reason I asked, and we'll talk about this coming up in a moment, is that there aren't, it's not a crowded space necessarily. It is from a technology side, on the commercial side, I, I think it's still fair to say where we're talking about somewhat of an emergent technology. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think the, the real sort of emergence and, and actually what led us to spin MetaLens out in the first place was, again, they had these proof of concepts around metasurfaces and uh, generally the field and in optics, everyone was, was very excited about this, the potential um, of making flat lenses, making really small form factor optics, but there hadn't been, uh, they were very inefficient to begin with. So metasurfaces, maybe one to 10% of the light was actually going where you wanted it to after it passed through the metasurface. And so when I joined Federico's lab, bringing kind of the, the material side of things in, we really focused down on what is the right material? How do we process it in order to improve the performance and efficiency of metasurfaces to the point that you could get 80, 90% of the light going where you wanted it. So when we got to about 2016, we showed the first really high quality images that were ever captured with a with a metasurface. Um, everything else had been just you know focusing light down to a point and looking at how big the focal spot was, uh, but this showed the really first high quality images. And when we saw that, that was where we kind of had the sort of aha moment that wow, this can actually be much bigger than just an academic field. And then similarly. That paper that was associated with with those images ended up on the cover of Science Magazine, and we were essentially getting cold calls from cell phone companies, from lens manufacturers, from investors, and and that's where we said, okay, well, I think it's probably time to see if this is going to be able to to really be a, a technology that makes it in the market. Curious how those conversations go, um, because on the one hand, you want to play up the hype and, and legitimize it. On the other hand, you want to really advance the technology to a point where it's viable for the applications that are envisioned. How are you looking ahead when you hear those calls or you take those calls? Yeah, so th there certainly is a lot of excitement when you get calls like that. But at the same time, um, when whenever you're so close to a technology, uh, you you know all of the sort of potential pitfalls and, and, and weak points as to where the technology is in that moment as well. So a lot of it is kind of building the champions at, at these companies and organizations, but making sure you're not uh, setting too high of expectations for where the technology is today. So laying out, you know, 
this is what we can do and here's the roadmap. So a lot of it is talking about, you know, especially in the early conversations, it's talking about this is what the technology can do today. Here's where we need it to get, whether it's from the manufacturing side, performance side, um, for what we think you want to do. And here's our timeline and this is how we're going to do it. So a lot of it has to do with the overall framing, setting that roadmap, but still you want to stoke the excitement. And, mm-hmm. and so, so kind of walking that balance is always the balancing that is always the, uh, the challenge. And right there with you, not just in an adjacent way, but physically is Federico Capasso. What's it like working with Federico Capasso? Because he is a luminary in this field and in others as well. His contributions are vast and considerable. His expertise is vast and considerable. What's it been like to work alongside Federico Capasso? Yeah, Federico is is a, a really just a, a unique individual, and you know it, he he continues to have sort of an amount of passion that just is amazing, considering how long he's been in the field and how much he's done. And I think that's kind of the the first thing you get from working with Federico is it's a contagious passion in terms of uh, science and engineering, um, and then he also brings sort of that that Bell Labs experience again, which, uh, you know, he was there for 27 years and throughout all different great discoveries at Bell Labs, again, coming back to the the QCLs, that was where he, Jerome and others worked on the, the QCLs. So he had that sense of not just looking at exploring really interesting problems and questions, but making sure it was close to something applied, um, you know, making sure that it, it was going to be useful for something. And, you know, again, that kind of was contagious throughout the group. Federico Capasso's influence on optics and photonics extends well beyond metasurfaces. His pioneering approach to bandgap engineering for heterostructure devices and materials led to the development of the quantum cascade laser. Through his work, he is considered a leading innovator in showcasing the capabilities of MEMS technology. In our Season 5 interview with Jerome Feist, we asked for nuggets about work with Capasso. Feist, a co-developer of the QCL, collaborated with Capasso at Bell Labs in the early 1990s. Devlin, who worked under Capasso more than 20 years later, had this to say. Federico, in, in terms of the group and the way he set it up too, in working at Bell Labs with so many talented and, and brilliant people that came through there, uh, he very much set up his group in a way that he allowed the, he set up an environment that would allow innovation to thrive, but he would allow the students and the postdocs to kind of drive the innovation, come up with the new ideas. Uh, so, you know, in the beginning, he would allow you to come up with, with your ideas and it was kind of hands off, just set that environment. And then once you got something that was really interesting, uh, he was uh, hands on and <laughs> almost uh, at times <laughs> uh, too, too hands on, you, you could say. And uh, I'm sure he'll, he'll appreciate these stories from me. But, you know, if once you got a result from Federico, it was kind of nonstop communication from him to the point where, you know, you'd get an email about a result at uh, 1 or 2 a.m. from him. And then, of course, you're, you're sleeping in bed and, uh, you know, you would wake up and there'd be a second email that would have come in at 6 a.m. saying, how come you didn't reply to my first email? And I mean, again, this is at sort of a, the later part of his career after he's already done so much. And that, that really made it a, a fun place to work. And the fact that he set it up where you kind of drove your own innovation also sets people up for just the way that they're going to have to work in the real world. And 
So it was, it was really fantastic. And I, I could probably have a whole podcast of anecdotes of Federico. Yeah, but I, I, I think, I'm open uh, to the idea. It sounds amazing. <laughs> I, I think uh, I might get to in in too deep and get in trouble with them. Yeah. So. Well, I I mean, do you draw parallels to? Uh, this is you know, there's a bit of grandiosity to this, but do you draw parallels to yourself and and where Dr. Capasso was? Because you know, I mentioned that some of flat optics, meta optics, and the commercialization push, a lot of this is emergent, but it's not you know underwater. The the you know, it, it, we're above ground now. There's more than a toe in the water. Um, and you're yeah. really on the front lines of that, you and Meadowlands and a few others too. But do you, you know, draw back and, and look at how he was able to, to pioneer some of his research and fields and application areas that weren't really yet uh, established? I think the, the biggest thing that I take away from working with him and kind of what, what he's been able to do, especially as we're at Meadowlands now, is making sure you get the smartest people and making sure you set up an environment where people feel open to innovate. I think that's the the biggest thing I learned from him and, and kind of the parallel that I try to draw at MetaLens as, as a company is, you know, even though we are now very focused on product, still setting it up where people feel that open environment to innovate, because that's how we're going to make sure now that we have emerged and MetaSurfaces are in the market, that we continue to stay ahead and at the forefront. And I think uh, Federico between Bell Labs and what he's been able to do with this group at Harvard has just been a, a fantastic mentor in, in showing how to set up that environment. Let's talk about commercialization, productization. You brought us back 10 years, 2013, nine years. And you talked about what happened with you and, and sort of on the R&D side with materials and some of the R&D developments, the technology. Uh, on the other side of that, you have the market which has grown in yeah. such a way that there's now opportunity, real opportunity to innovate that way. What in your mind has happened in the marketplace that now allows us to talk about the vast potential and real potential for meta-optics in terms of being productized? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, and you know, this comes down to sort of needing to have timing be on your side just as much as having a really interesting technology that can scale one of the, the biggest things that happened right as we spun the company out, it was right around when Apple launched their face ID in a phone for the first time. And so, you know, we haven't talked about this specifically yet, but metasurfaces in sort of their most basic form work really, really well to simplify complicated optical systems, but for narrowband type sources, LEDs, lasers. And prior to the iPhone, there really hadn't been a mass market for narrowband type imaging. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of sort of niche forms of narrowband imaging and microscopy and fluorescence and so on, but there really hadn't been a huge mass market. And so one of the biggest driving forces was that when, when that was launched through the iPhone, um, all of the other cell phone suppliers then sort of latched onto this 3D sensing narrowband near-infrared imaging, as well as then transferring over to places like automotive with LIDAR and so on. So one of the biggest things was that emergence of the narrowband imaging market. Uh, and I think that really sort of set a path for you know where meta surfaces uh, provide the most advantages because those systems in particular, whether it's a LIDAR on a car, whether it's a dot pattern projector 
in a structured light module or a 3D sensing, a 3D imaging module, they tend to be some of the most complicated systems in phones and mobile devices today. And what metasurfaces allow you to do is, you know, take three or four of the lenses and combine all that functionality into just this one single flat layer. So with meta optics, you do have some really kind of innovative, interesting, even novel potential applications and things like remote sensing and beyond yeah. that. Um, you've really focused on phones. You just brought it up, you know, whether it's been the polarization imaging advances or, or the the quest to remove the, the camera bump in the phones. You focused on these um, smaller devices. Uh, why? So that's another another really big advantage that you get from meta surfaces. And, um, you know, it, it it starts with phones just in the sense that uh, phones often will drive down the form factor requirements for these complicated optical modules. And then phones will also then drive down the overall cost and price of sensors and other things that need to be coupled with, with the module. So again, uh, besides reducing complexity, you can use metasurfaces and what we do at MetaLens in many cases to reduce the form factor. So that's the other coming back to the market side of things. That's a continual drive in mobile devices for sure is making things smaller, making them fit into more and more challenging form factors. There's now even the move to put things under the display in phones. And so that's a, that's a great driving force and a great way for meta surfaces to, to solve pain points. That being said, I think there, there's lots of markets outside of phones where there's a, potential applications for, for meta surfaces, but also even in the automotive space, there's the push to, to make things smaller, um, simpler, less complex. So, but also then coming back to the manufacturing side of things for a little bit here too, when we're getting a manufacturing partner interested in what we're doing, the phone volumes are also really important in terms of having that partner be interested in the overall business as well. Let's talk about the transfer of technology and that relationship between the the market, the commercial side, and the technology side. How evolved is that? How, I guess, baked is that relationship now? Because again, we're talking about a technology that is emergent. There's still a lot of potential um, things yet to happen. Yeah. I mean, again, coming back to sort of the timing of things, there's always uh, getting the timing right and making sure that the market is is ready for what you're doing and that there's a, enough of a burning need within the market as well, because ultimately what we have done at MetaLens and what we're doing with MetaSurfaces, you're still introducing a new technology. And there is always a risk for these large companies to put a new technology, no matter how, how great of PowerPoint slides you set up in terms of what you can do and the things that you can do with the technology. There's a risk because they're putting out millions or billions of devices, right? So you need to have that feedback and that, that timing in terms of they get to a point where there's a really burning pain point and your technology is the way to solve that. And then the, the risk, they're willing to take that risk. And then also, this is more of just a, a general advantage of metasurfaces, which we haven't talked about specifically yet. But the other benefit for what we're doing with metasurfaces um, is that we didn't actually have to go and invent a new manufacturing process. So that also helped in terms of adoption by uh, by partners and, and in the market because we're using standard semiconductor fabs and, and processes. So 
you know, the first thing is that need for that, that burning need from the market side. And then you have to have the manufacturing scale and sort of supply chain uh, security that makes the, the big customers comfortable. Has there been a supply chain disruption noticeable for, for Meadowlands? I mean, everyone, anytime you talk about supply chain in the last two plus years, there's been some wave of disruption. How has it affected uh, you and your ability to manufacture? So this comes again um, to another another real advantage of MetaServices where we haven't been impacted by, say, the semiconductor chip shortage or anything like that. Because if you look at you know, whether it's a CMOS image sensor or some other form of microelectronics. First of all, these these things are pushing sort of the bleeding edge node in terms of features and sizes that you need. Uh, there's often even multiple patterning steps that go into making some of the hardest and smallest features on, on electronics. And then there's often something like 25 or 30 different masks for lithography or, or layers of materials that are being put down to make, again, an image sensor or some, some microelectronic chip. Uh, with a metasurface, it really is just one single layer process. So it's, it's about the simplest process that the foundries can imagine when it comes to, to producing these. And our feature sizes end up being relatively small, smaller than the wavelength of light we're operating at, but you know, relative to the, the five nanometer, 10 nanometer type features that are required for some transistors, um, it's it's really large features. So from the, the supply chain side and the, the manufacturers, this is a really high throughput process. It doesn't really take up a lot of uh, capacity in those fabs. So it's allowed us to, to really not see any impact from the shortage because uh, we have such a simple process. Stops in materials science, electrical engineering, and applied physics sectors have enabled Devlin to put the concepts and theories from his science background into practice in the optical realm. As Metalens ramps up its focus on product, the company is embarking on a new stage of growth that draws from its ability to use photolithography and CMOS fabrication processes to move manufacturing forward. While the established nature of these methods has helped the company advance production, Recall Devlin's mention of Metalens' ability to withstand supply chain hiccups and semiconductor shortages. Upscaling is a gargantuan task with inherent challenges. For Devlin at Metalens, the so-called environment for innovation reaches beyond R&D and into the company's next chapter. Yeah, there, there certainly was a learning curve in terms of um, all of the other things that go into mass production. Um, you know, any anyone can go into a lab and make one metasurface, any grad student at this point can go into a lab and make one metasurface, you know, making 10 million that will perform exactly the same way every time that really takes a company that takes uh, a lot of experience and expertise. And that was something I, I certainly didn't have coming into Metalens. And that's where, again, coming back to something that Federico had said, it's always finding people around you, uh, building people around you that are, are certainly smarter and more knowledgeable. And, you know, what we've been able to do at Metalens is bring in folks that have already had that experience from, you know, being in industry for a long time. And so even though, you know, some of us early PhDs that were at the company uh, wouldn't necessarily know all of the, the nuances of reliability and of uh, critical dimension control that goes into manufacturing, we were able to bring in John Graff, our VP of engineering, who had that experience. Uh, we've been able to bring in Rich Norton, our VP of ops, 
who you know has set up supply chain for for various startups and new technologies so it's that bringing in people that um makes the learning curve a lot less steep you know in contrast to the to the potential size of the market the opportunity in the market the, the number of leading companies or, or players in meta optics right now it's much smaller um than in other technology areas and that makes sense or it's it's this new ish technology and a lot of the technology is still um being pushed forward in terms of attracting talent now you've been able to do it we're conducting this interview at the the cusp of fall you've recently added some executives to your team how has the the attraction of talent been for MetaLens? Because it is a great opportunity to contribute to something um, with sort of very high ceiling, but there's also a lot of unknown. Yeah, there there definitely there definitely is that uh, additional piece that comes along with a, a startup and a new technology. Of it's going to be a little bit riskier than a large company. Um, I think the first thing again is is setting up that environment for innovation. So even though we are pursuing product now, and and the key thing for us is to get our meta surfaces out there, uh, not just in kind of the first set of applications, but the second, third, and so on. So we have to be focused in that way. There's still a lot that goes into new inventions, new ideas. And I think that for, you know, for really smart people, whether they've been in industry for a long time, whether they're coming out of a, a PhD, that mix is really attractive. And then what we've been able to do at MetaLens is, is actually prove that we have put the technology out in market first. So it sets up a little bit more of a, a stable environment for us now as well, where it maybe mitigates the risk, but keeps that exciting environment here at Meadowlands. And then the, the last thing is just being in the Boston area where we are. You know, there's there's no shortage of talent in the Boston area between uh, Harvard, MIT, BU, Northeastern, um, UMass, you name it, there's just a, a number of great universities around here for a lot of the the PhDs that we're still drawing from. You mentioned the camera bump a moment ago. There's been a lot written about documenting sort of the end of the camera bump, overcoming this literal hurdle in the phone. And, and that's something that MetaLens has devoted a lot of time, effort, and had success with. Let's talk about the company in a broader scope. What's MetaLens working on now? Where's the company headed? I think one of the, the biggest things we see at MetaLens is, you know, the meta surfaces now have been shown to be critical components by MetaLens in these 3D sensing applications. Uh, and we can take existing sensing solutions, simplify them, make them smaller, make them better performing, and allow 3D sensing generally to, to proliferate as a result of what we can do with our optics. But that's taking basically these known solutions, known modules, and, and it's a really great first market for us because it's an existing market. There's a burning need, like I mentioned before. But I think what we can do with, with Metasurfaces now is that this ability to control all aspects and all information in light that you get from the Metasurface, you know, these, these nanostructures that we're engineering that make up our optics allow us to manipulate all aspects of an electromagnetic wave. And so what we're starting to do and what, what is emerging, you mentioned some of the stuff we're doing with polarization earlier, um, is we're looking at co-designing the full system around the unique functionality of metasurfaces or our metasurfaces ability to capture information that normal optics, especially in these small form factors, would simply throw away. So we, we see things like polarization sensing in mobile form factor 
in at a mobile price point as a as a really interesting emerging use case where now we're also designing algorithms image reconstruction along with the meta surface itself and there i think there's a number of applications whether it be proliferating something like facial recognition beyond just you know the the one major cell phone oem that that is using it today or even looking at things like enabling um more sort of home home health monitoring medical applications that could be on the phone uh, and i think it all comes down to the fact that with meta surfaces and what we are doing at metalens we can bring new information into these systems um that new information then allows you to essentially look at new applications or in the case where you're you're working with whether it be machine vision or anything like that you're bringing better information into the system to improve the overall algorithms and decision making so i think that's really where we see metalens going now you mentioned automotive um I suppose in passing a couple times and a lot of times automotive and, and energy might be grouped together anytime we're talking about a new technology it's very easy to take a sort of segmented look at the application or the technology rather and say well it's not in automotive yet we don't see it in energy yet. Are there any barriers yeah. or obstacles? I mean, clearly the company is working hard and is active in trying to get there. Are there any barriers that are that are hindering the ability to arrive in these sectors? One of the biggest things, especially when it comes to something like automotive, is just generally coming back to reliability and quality. Automotive always has a higher bar and, and sort of one of the highest bars when it comes to all of that. So there's just a longer time frame in terms of getting adoption within automotive. The other thing it also from the market side, you know, the the key application where we see an energy point for automotive is around lidar or at some level in cabin monitoring or in cabin sensing and those markets are still growing and and maybe not growing quite as early or as fast as people had originally thought. So, you know, there's still that that market lag a bit that is that is there as well but from the technology itself this is one of the advantages of meta surfaces as well that the automotive reliability we expect all of that to be um easily achievable by our meta surfaces because we're making these out of all solid state materials unlike uh you know plastic or polymer molded lenses our meta surfaces actually don't change their properties as a function of temperature so for things like um lenses you don't want the focal length to be shifting all over the place as the temperature is changing especially for something like automotive where you have to go from you know negative 40 degrees c up to 150 in order to to pass the qualification so we don't see any real barriers uh, it's more a matter of time because there's just a longer overall cycle to getting the technology adopted in in that market and i think uh, again meta surfaces provide really unique advantages there even more so in many cases for automotive or some of these other areas i think limitless potential has been um, a theme of our conversation and you mentioned machine vision and anytime you're talking about in cabin systems lidar or really anything where image acquisition is involved you can veer into that sector it's not too much of a jump i mean are you thinking about machine vision applications because that would really open up a whole new um i don't know if new is the right word but whole additional uh set of capabilities potentially yeah we we really see machine vision as and and especially in terms of enabling the algorithms associated with those machine vision systems to make better decisions or to make more efficient decisions 
we really see MetaLens as driving that with what we can do with MetaSurfaces. Um, often in these systems, you know, you have some machine learning algorithm that is operating on a very imperfect data set coming in. And so if you're able to bring in more information into the system, whether that be the full polarization spectrum, like we can do with, with the Metasurface, the full set of polarization information, if you're able to bring, bring in better or more data to the system, then essentially you're able to make these systems more efficient. You're able to make them um, perform new functions, know more about what, what it is they're looking at, what it's made up of, how objects are moving, all of those things. And, and that's really, again, because you can actually parse more information in light with the Metasurface than you can with just about anything else in term, especially in, in these small form factors that are required. You made it clear that you're someone who likes to sleep between the hours of one and six when you can uh, <laughs> earlier. Uh, what keeps you up at night, Dar? Is there anything that really, in a good way, that, that really um, excites you now about the company that, that we're you know, 10 years in, so to speak, and, and we're, we're moving forward towards commercialization? Uh, I guess a better way to phrase that question is, what are you most excited about here? I think the, uh, the, the thing that I'm most excited about, um, you know, obviously getting the technology into market has been a huge step and that's for any new technology, for any startup, that is always one of the most difficult things to do. It's given us a little bit of a chance now. Uh, you mentioned sort of the limitless potential and that's kind of been uh, in the early days of the company that can be a little bit of a distraction because there's so many things that you can do with metasurfaces but you need to really focus and get it in market. And so now that we are in market, it's allowed us to step back and look at some of these more advanced functions. So I certainly think what we can do with completely manipulating polarization information with a metasurface, bringing a full polarization sensing system to these mobile form factors for the first time, I think that's something that, that I'm really excited about and often keeps me up in a good way, especially because in polarization sensing and imaging, there are some known applications because this is sat in industrial labs or medical labs, you know, with these tabletop size equipment that cost thousands of dollars. And now we can consider bringing, again, whether it's, uh, you know, home health diagnostics that you could do from your phone, we can start thinking about bringing that to more and more people, uh, essentially giving more people access to this. And ultimately, um, also generating more information and more data that doctors or other folks can go look at. And, um, you know, I think that piece of it really is something that I find exciting. Um, you know, we see a, a beachhead for polarization, uh, but ultimately there's so many different things that you can do with that information once you put it into essentially everyone's pocket. And, and I think that's a, a really exciting thing that we're doing now. That concludes this week's episode of All Things Photonics. Thank you to our engineer, Alan Shepard, and to our news editor, Jake Saltzman, as well as to this week's sponsors. Our featured music is courtesy of betterwithmusic.com. Most of all, thank you, our listeners. As always, you can share your thoughts, pitch us ideas, and let us know how we're doing. You can reach us at allthingsphotonics.com. All Things Photonics is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as on our website, photonics.com.